Hey, this is Phil Yano with the Tech After Five podcast, and uh, we have, as always, my pal Scott Pfeiffer is here with me. Always great to be here, Phil. And uh, in here, in the, our place of recording, in the secret fortress of solitude, <laughs> we have uh, my pal Carol Hamilton. Hi, everybody. Happy to be here. I'm, well, we're super happy to have you. Uh, the reason I invited Carol in today is she gets to talk to some really cool people about being influential, being great inside the leadership space for what they're doing. But you know what? Don't let me explain to you what she does. Let her explain it because, you know, she's got this figured out. Carol, tell people what you do. Well, I am uh, living the dream. I get to travel the world and talk about communications, both in facilitated groups uh, from 30 to 100, as well as in executive coaching setups. And so I work with a number of global audience, uh, global clients where I get to go all over the place and have these conversations about how to be clear in your messaging, or what I like to call freeing the voice of genius. Yeah, it sounds like fun. And when you say global, kind of tell us the places you go when you talk to people. Well, I'm, I spend a lot of time in Paris and in, in Europe in general. I also have expanded in the last few years into India. We're doing quite a bit of work there. Um, Turkey has also been a place that I've spent some time. This year we're going to be hitting the Asian area, quite a bit heavier in terms of I've been to Singapore, but it's actually going into Malaysia, Japan, China, etc. These conversations are going around the world because so many teams are now global. And as we all know, when you're working with global colleagues, you frequently will never get to actually lay eyes on these folks. And so the, the need to communicate just gets bigger and harder at the same time. You know, uh, and I'm sure Scott's got a question about this too, but you know, me, not being the world traveler that you are and doing this kind of stuff, my question is, is the message fairly congruent across those audiences? I mean, do they do? You, are you facing similar troubles when you go to, or similar questions and challenges, right? When you go to Paris or if you go to India, how are those things different? Um, well, it, you're right. It's much easier to start on how are they the same, which is we are crossing cultures, we're crossing languages, we're crossing uh, uh, accents. So all of these things become incredibly difficult. Now, when you put that into a tech realm it gets really hard. Even something as simple as an acronym can completely throw a message off because people forget to clarify their acronyms. Uh, we had talked before about the difficulty in pacing. And so there's all of these changes that need to come when you're thinking, I'm talking to an audience that's never heard this before, doesn't understand my context. Maybe you're even just trying to be friendly by starting off a conversation with a reference to a sports team. Well, if you're not careful, you can be talking about something nobody's ever heard of. Cricket? Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, exactly. Somebody yeah. still has to explain cricket to me. I, <laughs> Great. But I mean, I think that's wonderful. But the idea that we still have that, and I, I guess I, we forgot to introduce this idea to our audience. You are talking primarily to technology people as well when you're off doing this, right? Right. That's my, that's my main focus as engineers and technology professionals. Yeah, that's where my sweet spot is. I love, I love how they think. And so that just feels like a great place for us to be. But you find that regardless of those differences, the basic building blocks of how to communicate effectively in order to wield influence remain the same? They really do. It's about editing yourself. That's probably the biggest piece for technology folks. They have a tendency to think, you need to know what I know so that you can give me the yes I'm looking for. 
And the reality is most audiences don't want to know what tech people know. They hire people to know that stuff. What they want is the high-level view of what do I need to make the decision. And so being able to edit is absolutely a universal problem. It's taking what you know and making it, it beating it into a diamond message that someone can easily say yes. Well, so that's going to be my counter-argument. I mean, first, right off the bat here, right? You think, hold on a second here. We're in tech. We're super smart. we got the bright, best and brightest minds of a generation working on a problem. We don't have to be influential, do we? We just, this, our solution speaks for itself, doesn't it? Uh, mm. <laughs> We've had this conversation. I've had this conversation every day. You're right. The problem is, if I don't understand what you're saying and what you want me to do, your genius is going to be wasted. And that's the thing that I think is criminal, is I'm going to not get it. Yeah, the world is not served by your playing small, right? And, right. And if I can't deliver what I'm doing, if I can't, if I can't help other people understand the benefit I'm trying to bring to the table, then it may never get realized. So that's why we are here today. That's why Scott and I are here talking to Carol Hamilton because Carol gets to talk to international audiences about how to be influential in their space. And this matters, right? Being influential in anything matters, but I think it's particularly troublesome in tech because there are just simply potholes that experts tend to fall in that other folks don't. Well, and put yourself into the position where you're sitting there with a really disruptive idea. And I actually had a leader who said there was a guy who would come and pitch these disruptive ideas. And as soon as he walked in the room, I'd feel myself rolling my eyes because these ideas were just nuts and it took forever for him to get through the idea. And then one day, this guy walks in with an idea that could change aviation as an industry. And it made me wonder how many other ideas like that I'd missed because of the delivery. And my own impatience with the delivery made me shut down. And when you get into a situation where rather than being influential, you're actually repelling support, you've got a problem because your ideas don't get where you want them to go. A lot of people enter into conversations with really a mistaken goal. They, they're there to wield influence and get you to yes, but what they're really there to do is feel like they've made you feel like they're smart, right. if that sentence made any sense. Yes. Right? And so they're talking and everything they're saying, they're thinking in their head, this guy thinks I'm really smart. I've really explained some complicated things. Right. Everybody thinks I'm great. With, but that's not really the goal. Right. The goal is not to make the other people think you're smart. The goal is... The goal is to get them to the yes. It's to get their buy-in so that they can then say yes. And the thing about that is most of the time, if you're in that role, they already know you're smart. So you're, you're, proving, you're wasting time proving a point that's already been established. I don't get you to yes by making you think I'm significant. Mm -hmm. I get you to yes by making you know you're significant. Yes, right. And I always, uh, here's a great little tip that I encourage people to think about. If I'm pitching to you whatever, and by pitching I mean you and I are having a conversation over lunch where I have this little idea I really want to take that I think could be something interesting. When I'm doing that, what I want to think about is who do you need to tell? Who are you taking this idea to? Because the more complicated I give it to you, 
the less likely it is that you're going to be able to re-communicate that to somebody else. I, I love that insight. That is a great insight, right? Because I, how many conversations have you had where you're, you have the conversation, the person you're talking to gets it, and they tell you that they get it, but then they come back to you and they say, I tried to explain it to my team, and I, I just got completely lost. Right. And, and, you're, and you went nowhere. And the resources then went to the not as smart idea, but easy to communicate. And we've all met the leader who has this giant title, and you think, how did they get there? They're not that bright, but it's because they understood how to communicate their ideas. I tell uh, leaders that I work with all the time when they're in a competitive situation that they have to win the narrative. Right. They have to win the narrative. They have to tell a story that is more compelling and easier to understand than the other guy's telling. It doesn't matter who's right or wrong or who's better or worse. The guy that has the better narrative is going to win nine times out of ten. Yeah, and I would add a bullet onto that, which is more memorable. I like that. Because if I don't have a memorable story that's easy to tell, to your point, you can't tell it for me. Yeah, and that, that is quite frankly, the emotional engagement, right. Of it, right? That's what we're trying to get done. All right, so I, again, I love this conversation. I think we've kind of established already the fact that, right, being influential in tech matters. You, your tech is not going to speak entirely for you. That being influential when I am trying to communicate to a customer obviously matters because yes. otherwise they will never know what I'm up to. Yeah. We know that when I'm talking to my boss, being influential, being able to deliver good information, when I'm talking to my team members, it matters then as right. well, right? Um, you know, one of the, there, I thought there was kind of an unexpected spot in this though too, where someone might not, you know, being influential, if I'm an independent consultant out there and I'm going to go try to get a job, that part of the job interview process I'm trying to be, I'm trying to wield my influence even in that space, right? I think we're trying to be influential in every breath we take because in the end, we have goals for everything. If even in some, something as casual as we're sitting on the sofa and I really want to watch this show, you want to watch that show, you know, what are we going to do? How are we going to come to a decision on this? And being influential is not necessarily having your idea bought into 100%. Being influential means that it is going in the direction of something that you're trying to achieve. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because I don't want influential to seem like there's no compromise in this, that it's my way or the highway. That is, that is, I don't think is influential. I think that's more coercion. And most people walk away from that dissatisfied. When I have done mutual consent influence, if you will, what I'm saying is, we're going there together, which means it's going to hold. Uh, you know, we're. It's funny, and I, here's my issue, right? It's like I've got kids who are growing up, mm -hmm. and so command and control yes. is is losing out. And right yeah. now, I have to know how to coerce and control, or co coerce and cajole, right? Because right. command and uh -huh. control is lost, yes. right? It, right. it just isn't the thing anymore. But the thing is, that is super valuable. And let me tell you, the one other unexpected place where I think other folks might not get this, where I have had to learn this myself over a long time, where being influential matters, volunteer organizations, right? Mm -hmm. when, in a volunteer organization, there is no command and control, right. right? You don't get to look at anybody and say, you do that, and they go, no. Yeah, not gonna. <laughs> yeah, right. Or worse, they say, okay, and then turn around and do the exact opposite once you've left the room. 
because leadership isn't and you, about... You work around some dark cats. I'm yeah, but I, you look at manufacturing as a classic example where you get somebody who's fresh out of school, they've got this brilliant engineering degree, they know how to do it, they walk into a, a, a room full of people who are twice their age and have all this experience, and they say, okay, here's the new thing we're going to try. Well, if you're not influential, that's not going to change when you walk out of the room. And so it's really about getting your hands around, not the control and command, but inspiration and influence. Yeah, yeah and in companies of all sizes these days, that sort of military hierarchical structure where you wield influence just by virtue of your title is going away. Right. Workers aren't doing what you say just because you're the boss and you're having to wield influence to your team that's below you because they're not going to follow you just because you have command. Right. And you're also having to wield influence horizontally and wield influence up. Right, right. And that's that horizontal leadership piece is so important because as you watch even just around the world, the change in approach to authority based on protests alone tells you that things are shifting. So walking in the room with, I have title and that's going to do the trick, is really a poor leadership technique that's no longer working. Yeah. And the people who have been there for a long time, who grew up in that, are really struggling because that's no longer working. Yeah, there are a lot of people out there that are stamping their feet and, and yelling mm -hmm. and getting red-faced because they don't like this change that's happening. And you can certainly do that but it's probably more effective to learn how to manage and lead and wield influence in this new era. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, so you, I'm hoping that our tech audience has got the idea that we think influence is important, that they agree with us, right? So we've got them that far along the way. The neat thing is you've come to us with some ideas of how to get better at both accumulating and wielding influence in our communications. Sure. So I think the biggest piece is, is editing. And, I, and if I've said it before, it's because I think it's worthy of repeating. You must have a clear, concise desire or, or message, if you will. And I hate putting the word message on it because I don't want you to get the feeling that this is only applicable when you're standing in front of a room. If I'm meeting with you and we're having conversation and I want you to know something I'm thinking about, the more clear I can be on it, the better it's going to be in the, the next conversation and the one following. It means there will be a next one. Yeah, so it, having the content together, right? And so I know that one of the things that I think about in there, right, if I'm going to communicate something important, before I even get started, I think about the beginning, middle, and end. How I'm going to start to introduce this, how am I going to work my way through it, and then what do I think the end of this looks like one way or the other, right? What is the action I'm looking for at the end? But, you know, again, you're starting here with the idea that if I'm going to be influential, I need to start with some clarity in my own thought and clarity in what I'm communicating to others, right? Getting my content straight up. Yeah. Yeah, because, and this is especially true if I'm outside of your realm, so if I'm not a part of your daily life where I understand how you think and where you're going and you need to get my attention, which is what clarity is about, and hold my attention, you need to start with a, a statement, an executive summary in no more than two to three sentences that say what it is that's on your mind. Put the bottom line up front. Give me the bottom line and do not give me some mystery. This is, this is old school where we're going to talk about the history of the topic, then we're going to talk about the current status, and eventually we're going to wander around into the big reveal of what this could take us to. we got to start there. you got to get me interested, engaged, excited in the first two sentences, because if I'm not, your competition will. 
And there's too much pressure on us to listen to other messages, going right back into the story you're talking about. I agree with that 100%. I've been in so many presentations where the person on the other side seems to believe they're a showrunner on Lost, yeah. and they're <laughs> creating this dramatic story arc that's going to get me to this big aha at the end. And yeah. Seven years from now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, two minutes into the conversation, I'm yeah. like, would you please get out of my office? Exactly. And, and unless you have a compelling story like Lost, you're in serious trouble, right? Because Even how if often? you do. Yeah. yeah. I mean, how often? Yeah, I'm not going to watch that again. <laughs> right. I've and been I, there. I've seen it. I certainly don't want it in the business context. And especially if I shortcut you and ask you, can you please give me the bottom line up front? And you're like... Oh, we'll get to that. Oh, yeah. Now I'm done. Oh, yeah. And now you've just committed suicide. Yeah. All right. So, but, but from our standpoint, the communication, the influence part of this, having a good content to yeah. begin with, right? Being yeah, so, able to do this, have the idea with, you have to have it in your head with clarity for lots of good reasons. But if, once I've got it in my head with some clarity, then I can deliver it with clarity as well. Now, you know, I saw, I heard a thing in what you were saying, and I'm just, if I'm wrong, you're going to tell me. Okay. But, uh, Part of it is I have to figure I have to start where the audience is and bring them to me, right? So wherever they are from an idea standpoint, you gave it in the idea that they may not understand the words I'm about to use. So I have to go meet them where they are, so to speak, and then help them understand what the core concepts are. Yes, and this is where the the tricky part that that's all about the practice falls. Because yes, you have to come meet me, and you have to decide how much into your world I need to go. Hmm. So meet me at my need. Yeah. Don't meet me at your ability to explain it. Oh, that's just gold right there. Let me just hold on to that for a minute, right? Meet me at my need. Meet the client at their need. Meet your boss at their need. Meet the guy who's trying to hire you at their need. Meet them with the question that's most present on their mind. You know, I've got this giant problem to solve, or I need someone to write this code, or I need people to help me build the next level of my company. Start with them there, right? Yes. Yes. So they may not even have, I need them to write code, because they may not understand it's a code issue. What they're saying is, we're losing clients left and right, and we don't know why. And you're saying the code's broken. No, no, right. So right. I'm completely with you, right? And they could be. You right. don't know what level of detail Absolutely. they start at. But the whole idea, you know, and that's kind of like Scott and I have talked a lot of times. It's completely okay to walk into a meeting and say, why are we talking today? Yeah. <laughs> what is this about? What are, yeah. we gonna, what are we here to do? I actually had a group of people on this very topic, and I said, why do you care if you influence anybody? Because I wanted to understand where, what context they wanted to use this in. Absolutely. And now we know where to start. Now the question becomes, where are we going from there? And some of that is about thinking on your feet. And thinking on your feet is a muscle. It is something that needs practice. So if you're about to present an idea to anybody on any level, but... Let's put it into work. Yeah, so let's talk about how you practice that for a second. Right? Sure. I, this might take us a little bit long, but I just love this idea. I think it's super important, right? I think it is important to practice where that is. And one of the ways we might practice that is we're going to just ask that question before we even get started. You know, people all the time say, Phil, I'd like to meet you. And I'd say, and it used to be, well, what would we talk about? Now, I just, it's what's up. 
you know, what's on your mind that we're going to have this conversation about? I mean, and then I can make a decision about what comes next. Right. And that's a really important point, is that you think you're calling to make an appointment to have the conversation, and yet you need to be ready to have the conversation because people's time is so short. The greatest gift they have to give you is time. They want you to cut to the chase. So that's where you already, before you even pick up that phone, need that 30-second, this is what I'm talking about. And it needs to be pointed at your needs so that you go, wow, not only is that a good idea, but that actually solves a problem I have. Yeah. And now you get my time. So the, for me to practice the idea of meeting someone with their need, I need to get to that what's up with them really early. And I, need, I should have done that before I even got a presentation, in fact. I mean, I should know yeah. what's, what is the problem. You know, what, why are we talking? What's going on? What problem are you trying to solve? You know, I was like, if I were walking into a job interview, you know, I don't know if I'd get to ask this ahead of time, but I could have, like, researched their website. I could have a basket, a market basket of questions I think they might have for me based on the problem I'm trying to solve. But I could say, I don't, you know, tell me what you're trying to do. Yes, and you're bringing in so many great points, which is the pre-work. So we went in and did a presentation at a group, um, a big bank in Canada, and in our proposal, we had gone into their website and pulled out their buzzwords. Every company, every group has its own buzzwords, and we went in and put them into our proposal. And when we were through our, halfway through our pitch, the, the guy we were pitching to said, you've clearly read our website. And he said, you know, you're the first ones. <laughs> Nobody's ever used any of this verbiage. People notice Can that I, stuff. I, oh, they absolutely do. Can I tell you just the worst thing to do is to walk into a meeting and say, I haven't read your website. Yeah. Well, and I'm, I've had I'm, that happen. Yeah. I've had people come in and they're like, they're trying to pitch me on things like, you know, I, I really didn't, I, I'm sorry I didn't have a chance to take a look at this. Like, yeah. Well, what did you do? Yeah. Yeah. Why, why are we here then? Yeah. I'm sorry, you're in tech. And was I just in the phone book next? I mean, yeah. what happened there? Yeah. yeah, however that might be. Yeah. But the same thing happens with Q&A. So the best thing you can do is put your idea in front of any human being you can see, preferably outside of your realm, and say, fire away. Here's my idea. What are your questions? What are your questions? Because you're trying to figure out what the questions are before you get into that even executive summary, because that means you're going to address it. So uh, an example I can use, it's super easy. You walk in and you say, I want to buy a car. And the salesman says, well, here's everything you need to know about cars. It's da-da-da-da-da. You say, great, how much is it? Well, here's what you should really know. <clears throat> it's about this, this, and this. Yeah, but how much is it? You need to walk in. In some settings, you need to walk in with the number. How do, well, how much do you need? Yeah. I, want, I want to do this. Well, how much is it? Well, we haven't really done that yet. Well, go away until you have. So right. one of your concepts that you told us about ahead of time, right, is the fact that you you have to practice the idea of thinking on the fly, yes. right? I get it. And I know that some people are just wired for that and some are not. If I'm not wired for that, do you have any advice for us on how, you know, we, someone could get better at that? Yeah. Biggest thing you can do, breathing exercises. And I know that that seems completely irrelevant, but it's actually not because the more tense you are, the more, um, the less flow of blood you're going to have, and oxygen is is food for the brain. You need your brain to be working to think on the fly, which means breath control is your best friend. Whether you do yoga, meditation, go running, whatever it is that you do that helps you understand how to manage breath control, it will change your life. I really like that, and I haven't heard that before. That's really great advice. When I was coaching. Um, law students and pre-law students, we would do effective speaking in that context. And one of the things we would always tell them is, you're, if you're nervous, your heart beats faster. Mm -hmm. And 
everything speeds up. And so even though you hear yourself talking at a normal pace, mm -hmm. everybody around you hears you talking really fast. Right. So you have to speak. If you know you're nervous, if you know your heart's beating, you have to speak in a way that is that seems slow to you for it to seem normal to other people. Right. And that goes along with that breathing, trying to calm that heart rate down will yes. also help with that. Yeah, there's some really great breath exercises you can do that are really simple, such as there's this thing called four by four by four, where you breathe into the count of four, you hold it for the count of four, you breathe out to the count of four, you hold it for the count of four. Doing that four times prior to a delivery can really change everything. They've actually done tests on it. It changes the dopamine. It changes all sorts of levels in your body. Some people call that square breathing, right? Yes. Yeah. When you do that, however, the chances of that working two seconds before the biggest presentation of your life, it's very likely the adrenaline will still overrun it, and so it won't have as much impact. If you could do it 30 days prior, once a day, leading into it, it can make all the difference in the world. There's a really great resource that's even shorter, which is called One Moment Meditation. And it literally, it's got an app in it that you can go in and set the app to come, and once a day it comes in and says, hey, you got a second? You know, got 30 seconds, 60 seconds? And for 60 seconds, you go into nothing more than paying attention to your breath. That teaches your body how to do it. So then when you get into that situation where you're about to have this big conversation, you take one deep breath and your body says, oh yeah, I know what to do. And the muscle memory takes over instead of the adrenaline. And it doesn't stop the adrenaline, but it lowers that stress rate. I'm sure you saw this with your lawyers, is that it lowers it enough to keep the blood flowing, which lets your brain work. And all of a sudden, everything gets easier. Now you add into it, you know what you're going to say because you've practiced those opening words, which are the most, those are the most difficult, is the opening words, and you practice those. And now it's smooth sailing because your confidence is going up with each, each moment. I love that because if you practice and check your, your speech speed, and you, mm -hmm. you've practiced, okay, I know how fast I can talk, that people can follow me and all that. But if you practice calm and then play juiced, yes. it's not going to work. So you've got to come up with a strategy to either practice juiced or not be juiced when you're performing, yeah. right? Yeah. There's a great book on it called The Putting Bible that talks about how when you're putting and it's Sunday afternoon and you're in the lead and you get into putting and the adrenaline just starts rushing in and suddenly your putt goes you know, into the next course, it's because you haven't practiced with adrenaline. It's very hard to practice with adrenaline. But, so for, sorry. for our tech audience, I just want to make sure that that's a golf reference because I'm not sure yeah. they would actually know. Yeah, that. I know. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, <laughs> no, yeah, no, that's no. an old one for me. But it's the whole idea that in that stress, there's going to be adrenaline planned for it. Yeah. And if you can create and adrenaline driven situations such as being asked QA in yeah. an uncomfortable place, yeah. that can help you build that muscle. Yeah, no, I, I think it's absolutely true. And, and it, quite frankly, having done it a few times and building up a little bit of, oh my God, this happened and I didn't die. Was that what I was afraid of? Yeah. <laughs> Whoa, was that what I was afraid of? Because it worked out okay, right? Um, I I think that's really good. By the way, I just want to do a little nerd drop here. Because, yeah. you know, one of the meditations, I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. And I love this because Carol's face is completely blank. 
Scott, having read Dune, knows exactly uh, what I'm talking about. Yeah. So you know, from 1964, folks. But that <laughs> book's been out a long time. You should be reading that. But the idea of having some meditation for yourself, some way. But I love the square breathing. I tell people to do this a lot myself. I practice getting control of your breath because if you get control of your breath, your body will follow. And your mind will follow, right? And it's just so much fun that you brought this up today because I had a son in a stressful situation last night and I practiced this with him. And I mean, he thought it was magic when it was done. Right? <laughs> he just thought this was like complete magic. And he's like, and I said, and I looked at him, I said, how do you feel now? And he just gave me this thumbs up and I got this little boy looking at me. He's like, all right, and I've taught you how to do this for yourself. And yeah. now he can do it when he needs it. They're putting but, it into schools left and right. Yeah, I just I think it's absolutely good. So, but that was a long answer to our question of how can I get ready for that Q and A thing, yeah. right? How can I be prepared? And the idea is like you know, I, here's I can't do this all at once, just as both of you have already said. But if I practice the idea of putting myself in that, I will get good at this. This is like everything else in the world. With practice, you will get good at being in stressful situations and answering questions on the fly, right? And I think that's such an important point because I hear over and over again I wasn't born with it. And I watch people with supposed innate uh, charisma and I'm not one of them. But the reality is I'm a massive introvert. And this, is, this was an incredibly big task for me to learn, but I, I saw the value and decided it was worth facing the fear and trying and failing and being willing to get better. And just like any other thing you get better at, yeah. anybody can learn it. You don't have to be born with it. Yeah, so we've talked about the sort of the pre-work now, right? And we've both said there are things you need to do to practice to be better at the on-the-fly, things that come up. And we've talked about how you also need to do homework. You know, be the guy that read the website. Know what words they have. So once we get into the actual conversation, whether it's a one-on-one -on -one or a one-to-many, talk to us about how you pace that out and structure that so so this is us in the moment right we're talking about we're, how do we deliver in the moment right so now i've got i am eyeball to eyeball with whoever i'm talking to yeah. help me out help me carry i want to be good now now what do i got to do and this is where you want to remind yourself you're not talking at me and so if I, if we're face to face which is the ideal way we can do it my power of observation should always be in 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 force. So if you're looking at your watch, I once I can probably look over, but by the time you've looked at your watch twice, it's time to stop talking. Something's gone off rails. I am no longer capturing your imagination. You are somewhere else. Now that may be about me or may not. I don't need to take it on as this is my, my problem. What I do need to do is stop talking and find a way to get you talking. I need to get you engaged. And there's a, there's a rule of thumb. If you're talking for more than six minutes, they're in a coma. They're just not listening anymore. Six minutes is way past the point of attention, and that's really important on the phone. Yeah, no matter what you are talking about, what they're thinking about is milk, bread, eggs. Yes, you, know, you are white noise. <laughs> they're going and, through their shopping yes, list. And they're thinking, when is this over? Uh, you know, the thing, I love the fact, because you said, you know, if they're looking at their watch twice, and that's the way it used to be. I mean, and I'm the guy that might have been looking at their watch twice, but now it's their phone, Carol. I yeah. mean, in, in, in a meeting, people pull out their phone yeah. and they just, 
they have gone to another world. They are on another planet. Yeah. They're on planet Facebook while you're talking. Yes. Um, and that's just what happens. So you've got to figure out how to be truthfully engaged. Right? Well, and this is Legitimately where, engaged. Yeah. So the thing that I love the, the phrase they pull out their phones, you're, they don't put them away. So the phones are out, and the bigger task is, can I even get them to set it down? And I don't set anybody up for that anymore because it's almost a physical impossibility. So at this point, I am no longer waiting for them to close their computers, put down their phone. I'm looking for, do they raise their heads? Yeah. Do I even get a nod up that might offer some level of eye contact? Then I've got their attention, and I have to understand whatever I just said worked. You have to be more interesting than a baby Yoda. You do. In order and to control control is it? Yeah. That's a high bar. I know. And, <laughs> no. It is. I mean, the new Star Wars, you know, trailer is out, and you've got a, you've got so so much competition. So the way that you get good at this is to edit, be high impact and short, and then get them involved. Uh, Patrick Lencioni, who wrote the book Five <coughs> Dysfunctions of a Team, is quoted for saying, "People will not buy in until they weigh in." If you have dropped your executive summary and you're not getting a question of some sort, then something isn't aligned yet because they're not engaged enough to ask questions. Yeah. Now, what we see and I hear all the time is, well, I start my presentation and by slide two, they're inundating me with questions. They're screaming questions at me and I can't move forward. And my tendency is to say, wait a minute, I'll get to that in a minute, which is death. Because no leader ever wants to hear... Because it doesn't matter what you said. That's what's still on their mind. Oh, their yeah. question is the only thing that's Absolutely. on their mind. Because they're afraid they're going to forget it. So they're looping it in their head while you're talking. All they hear in their minds is, have they answered my question? Are they going to answer my question? Do they know who I am? Have they discovered what I'm thinking about? Do and they know who I am? Yeah. I love that. Yeah, because yeah, there's a little ego at senior leadership on occasion. Yeah, it happens. Yeah, yeah. not yeah, all the if, time, if, but sometimes. If they don't care about my question, yeah. then they don't care. Well, who's the agenda for, right? Who is this for? It's for that, whoever that audience is, whether it's one person or a thousand. And when you say, I'll get there when I get there, what you're saying is, this is for me, not for you. And you're trying to seem like the smartest guy in the room. You want them to know everything you know. Love they don't need to know everything you know. You don't need to be the smart guy. You're already in the room. Yeah. The mindset that I think is really critical is to look at questions as gifts, not interruptions. Yeah. If they're listening enough to ask a question, you've accomplished something. And you certainly know what they're, they're, they're telling you, what they think. Yes. You become a mind reader because it came out of their mouth. Yes. Right? Perfect. And if you got to shut off the slides, shut off the slides and have the conversation. Yeah. Before the, before the meeting, you had to guess what they might think was important. Well, they've just told you yes. what they think is important. That's awesome. You should run with that. Right, yes. I would now, and this is where thinking on your feet becomes critical. All right, so here I am wielding, I want to wield influence. That's what we said we're coming here to right. do, right? So how can I, you know, they're asking me questions, they're interrupting, I want to be influential. That doesn't mean command and control of the room. That means engagement, right? Right. It's all about engagement and letting them in. Now, this is not to say that you aren't going to get some weird old off-the-wall question that's going to take you way off topic. And there are ways of bringing that back in, such as, you know, I'm really glad you brought that into the conversation. Uh, what I was thinking is for today, we were going to focus on this, but would you prefer if we went in that direction or would you like to stay in the direction we intended? And the reason I bring that up is because going to battle with people you're trying to influence by saying, we're going to do this and this is my topic, 
does not strike me as influential. Now you've got war, and if they have title, they win. Yeah. But what you're trying to do is say, here's the power. What do you want to do with it? Yeah. Now you're going to, and 99% of the time they're going to say, oh, you know what, you're right, that is a different subject. Why don't we get back to the subject at hand? Yeah. And they'll hand it right back to you, and now you you thought on your feet, but you didn't have to switch topics. Right. So tell me again. We're we're out delivering now. I just want you know, give me some ideas of other things that I need to be aware of while I am talking, either one on one or one to many, um, where so that I can wield that influence properly. Anything else in your bag of tools? I'm always watching body language to see if I'm getting resistance. I'm always watching if I'm, for example, right now getting nodding heads is important. Am I talking to only one person? Because it's really easy to get hooked into the smiling face in the group and ignore the frown. But the frown may be your decision maker, so you've got to make sure you're engaging each people, engaging each person. You're going to want to bring it back into, am I on the right track? And if you're not, bail. Going extra time doesn't help. There's some great examples of Q&A where people were answering questions and found themselves in the weeds. It happens to all of us. Just stop. Don't keep going thinking, eventually I'm going to run into an awesome answer because that doesn't work even though you can probably fill 20 minutes. Put, put down the shovel and step away from the hole. Yes, exactly, exactly. So be watching for that. Be watching for if someone gets a, a, a thought on their head that says something else came up for them and let them have the floor if it's appropriate. If that's somebody where you feel like, hmm, I just made a difference here. So I, I feel, did I, did I read that right, that you're having a response to this? Is that what you were thinking or could you just kind of check in with me? If you have no idea and they're just blank faces and they've been blank faces and that's not culturally normal because there are cultures where that's normal, you come back and say, why don't we just take a quick temperature check? How are we doing? Yeah. How and so that's that thing that to insert and re-engage if you feel like you've lost them in some yeah, way, right? Yeah, be the leader of the room, not just the topic. Right. And that brings us to the other thing about managing messaging in general. I hear a lot, I'm really good with my teams and I'm even pretty good with my colleagues, but as soon as a certain title walks in the room, I start getting really nervous, everything goes away. I really encourage you to think of yourself as the, the highest ranking person in the room on the topic. So that you stop street speaking up, trying to reach into being good enough, to your point, Scott, that I'm smart enough, I'm whatever it is I deserve to be here, and instead say, you've already decided based on the topic walking into the room that I deserve to be here, I'm going to assume that's true. Yeah. Yeah. We, we always talk about that, having an adult-to-adult -adult conversation, right? Executing on the same level as opposed to a parent-child or child-parent and all the other things that go with that. But that adult-to-adult -adult conversation, right? Just start it. In fact, if you need to say that to yourself, I'm an adult talking to an adult, right. just do it. Just quietly. But to yourself, yeah. and then do that thing. It's like, you know, I'm here yeah. and on this evil, even footing trying to help someone. Works the other way, too, right? Not to treat your your team as you're the adult and they're the children. You right. have to give them the respect of they're in the room with you because you value their opinion. So treat them like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So anything else we need to, uh, we, you would like to make sure that we get this audience to put in their bag of tricks so Boy. that they can wield some influence in the next conversation they've got? I have two soapboxes I will get on very quickly and then step back off of. One is you simply must be heard. Volume matters. 
I can take someone who's really, really soft-spoken, increase their volume by 10%, and they will sound like they've just gone out and gotten a new diploma. It, it absolutely matters. You sound smart, you sound confident when they can hear you. Can you fail when they can hear you? Absolutely. You cannot succeed if they can't. You must be heard. If you're being told you speak too softly, that's your next assignment, is to work on it. And don't just write it off as, well, yeah, I've tried, but it didn't work. There are all kinds of exercises you can do. Singers do it all the time to increase volume. It's not about straining your voice. It's about breath control and giving that, that oxygen into your breath as opposed to straining your vocal cords. And the second thing is your pacing. There are no greater things that are destroying communication than speed. To your point, Scott, when you're talking about bringing out the adrenaline, when you're nervous, you're going to talk faster. And the faster you talk, the faster you're going to lose people. And it doesn't just matter globally. This is also regionally. You think about what it's like to go from the south part of the United States to the north part of the United States. And now someone gets all excited and they've been thinking about their idea and they're really jazzed about it and they've been thinking about it and thinking about it and oh, yeah, I get to present it. And the people in the audience are thinking, when is this over? <laughs> and the faster you go, the harder it is to ask questions. And if they can't ask questions, no engagement. And, and you can build in some pauses to yes. encourage those questions to come flowing out because you want the questions. Yes. Right? And you have to build those pauses in. And if you've been told you speak quickly more than twice and you're still getting that feedback, then that's your assignment. You know, so I get that. So you started with the volume part and then we went to pacing and I think both of those. I mean, and in volume it is I need to be heard. Mm -hmm. That's all. And then, and maybe there's a little bit more that with a little bit of extra effort, I might have a sound of command, which is kind of interesting, right? And I don't mean that I'm running the room, but the fact is that I feel and sound authoritative, which is both good for me and good for the audience, right? Yes, so to use the well-worn term subject matter expert. Yeah. You deserve, I deserve to be here, and that is a mindset as well as a content issue. Do you bring information that's, in, that's intriguing? And one of your biggest goals is to teach them something they don't know as quickly as possible on a topic they care about, which says, I'm not just here spewing what I know, I actually know who you are, and I know what you care about, and here's why you should give me the rest of my time. Yeah, it, absolutely. And so I've got that piece, right? So I've got the voice, they understand that bit. The second piece I heard you say is my pacing matters. And quite frankly, I, I'll tell you, and I, I was just in a situation where I had this happen this week, and someone came in, they delivered this thing really quickly, and it felt to me, and again, it wasn't tone, it was pacing and delivery, it felt like a verbal bullying. Yeah. Like they were just trying to run right over me and take me to the end of a thing. And I didn't want to be at the end of the journey. I wanted to be back in this. I wanted to be, in fact, you know what I really wanted more than anything? <laughs> I wanted to be heard in the early part of it, right? I just wanted them to give me a moment to say, this is how I feel about what's happening here at this moment. But they just, you know, it was a 30-second thing. Again, pleasantly delivered, but the idea was they were not going to take a breath for fear I might interject something. Yes, they're either afraid you're going to interject, they're afraid they're going to get out of time because they put too much content in, and so they feel like they don't have enough time to deliver everything. Or they just want to get out of the room because they're scared. Yeah, they're afraid that if you interrupt them, they'll forget where they are and it'll yep. all go to hell. Yep. None of those things says, I'm a confident person, you should write a check. 
And that, that's the problem. You know, that's funny that you should bring it up just like that, because that's one of the things I think about, is when I hear someone doing that, and I and I hear in, like, the same situation where this person just went past me, and I thought, they are scared to death yeah. that I will talk to them. Yeah. Because in this particular position... I was in the position of power, yeah. and they were. I was in the right, and they were in the wrong, and they knew it, right? And they just kind of, and they did this whole thing. It's like they're scared of me. That's what's going on in this moment. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone like that, and they're so afraid you're going to interrupt them to ask a question, they will talk until they're literally completely out of breath. Yeah. Oh yeah, right. Like, yeah. Like they're about to pass out. They're yeah. trying to get the last couple words out without taking it because they're afraid if they inhale, you might jump in. Which. And, you know, I mean, in, in all fairness, there's a chicken or the egg argument that goes on here because there are senior leaders who have come from that history and their goal is to interrupt. And so there's two sides to that story. But the, the challenge is most of us on, in having this conversation are the ones who are talking to the power, whether it's the client or whoever it is we're trying to influence. And so this is when it becomes our responsibility to say, what can I change in this dynamic? Yeah. Because I can't change them, how can I change me? And if I'm speaking slowly and impactfully, they're going to listen. Yeah. So people of power, people of influence speak with deliberation. Mm -hmm. Their wo words are chosen carefully. They're delivered with power. And they have listened and watched to make sure that the audience understands and accepts what's going on. Yeah, and one of the issues when thinking on your feet might be this, sen this sense of, I have to answer immediately, you just asked me a question. And I will suggest to you that a breath will always sound longer to you than it does to your audience, and if that buys you a better, well-thought answer, take the breath. Yeah, your brain is running really fast. Let it do its work. Yes. Uh, you know, I have a habit of when someone does something like that and they're kind of all energetic, is that I look at them and I blink once. And the whole idea was just to slow this whole thing down for a yes. second, right? And it's like, okay. I, I love that uh, blink once technique because the, the pitfall people fall into when they try to do that, the take a breath thing, is they is they verbalize it with an um or a yeah. well or a wind-up word or something yeah. like that. And that's that can be really bad. Yeah. That yeah. makes you holding, that makes you seem like you know what you're doing. Yes. Yeah, holding the mic open like that is not a power move. Right. No, not. That is not something a person of influence has to do. Right. And that, too, is a practice. So whenever you hear those filler words, those um, those ahs, that's your brain saying, I have to have a word, I have to have a word. And teaching yourself to be comfortable with moments, micro moments of silence. Yeah. So this is part of one of the exercises that we do. And I would suggest to anybody, if you've been told you speak too quickly, grab a random paragraph of words that you're familiar with so you're not stumbling over them. And read it out loud at your normal speaking state, at speaking pace in front of somebody. Then go back and put slashes in every five to seven words. And then read it again, and every time you come to a backslash, take a micro-pause. And then ask your audience the difference. And you will get unbelievable feedback on, I wanted to listen to you, I was able to follow the ideas, it made me think, it made, gave me time to process, and therefore I wanted to know more. Versus the other one says, I couldn't wait till you were done. That was my wife said that this morning. <laughs> <laughs> I might have to cut that because someone might misunderstand it. Wow. 
Rose, I think we're about out of time. <laughs> you know, we are way over for time. But this is just such a fascinating conversation. A, I love talking to you. I love the conversation. I love the fact that we're out helping a bunch of people, I think, with this. I've got to imagine that someone in our audience would like for the conversation to go on more as well. If they want to find Carol Hamilton and they don't have her in their speed dial like I do, how do they find Carol Hamilton? Well, they can find me at Carol Hamilton Live on LinkedIn, and that's the probably the fastest way because I travel quite a bit. That's the one that gets to me immediately. They, they're also welcome to call me. Um, it's Carol at Red Fox Road. They can email me also. So, yeah, I do a lot of individual coaching, and it's all dependent on, on what it is you need. Sometimes we just have one session, and there's just a little tweak, and it's all better. And other people decide to do a little bit more in-depth. Sometimes somebody will have a particular situation that's coming up and they want some some help getting prepared, honing the message, that sort of thing. So it's really about whatever level it is that they're trying to find that I'm more than happy to see what I can do to be of use. Yeah, I think that'd be great. I mean, if you're stuck in a moment, right, where you're trying to get something done and it matters to you whether you need to deliver your information with influence and power and you feel like you're not ready for that, I would come to you to say, all right, where am I? What's going on here, right? Why why does this not feel right to me? What's going on? And I would love for Carol Hamilton to help me out with that. And I would think folks in the audience might feel the same way about it. Well, if not me, someone. Because yeah. don't expect yourself to have been born with this as a gift. Because there's a, you've got all these other gifts. Don't hold your, go get some help. Yeah. It's a skill. It's a skill. It's a developable, learnable skill. Yeah. Well, I think this is wonderful. Thank you for the conversation, Carol Hamilton. Pleasure to be here. Thanks. Thanks, Carol. Uh-huh.